Hello, and welcome to episode three of Making Sense. Is it spelled with a C or an S? We haven't decided. My name is Emil Kalinowski, and I am joining you from the palatially appointed studios of an offshore money center. Joining me, as always, is the Prince of Shadows Banking, Jeff Snyder, Chief Investment Officer of Alhambra Investments. Now, before we get started, I wanted to thank our audience for their enthusiasm and well wishes. Uh, the two videos that we have put out so far on YouTube have garnered over 12,600 views and more than 200 comments, a surprisingly large number of which are neither insulting nor death threats. One of those comments was by Toro Blanco, who informed me that it's pronounced Alhambra, not Alhambra. But as I responded to him, I'm a dirty English speaker, and I begged his forgiveness. Besides YouTube, you can find Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Snyder underscore AIP and me at Emil Kalinowski. On Twitter, you'll also find at Kevin C.S. Liang, who very kindly tweeted James Rickards, the author, commentator, and general investment industry renaissance man, that he would love to see Jeff Rickards and I on a podcast together. Thank you very much, Kevin. That got two love hearts, one from Jay Schwartz 91 and the other from Harold's 360-89778, who just goes by 360-89778 to his friends. Rickards is impressed with your work, Jeff, and he retweeted an article of yours. Not only that, he called it a master class. And he wasn't the only one. Velina Chakarova, the Vienna-based geopolitical realpolitik strategist, retweeted it to her followers. And then Zero Hedge picked it up and republished it for all their readers. The article is called FEMA is yet more proof. The potential for a shadow shadow run is very real. So let's start there. Good morning, Emil. So what is FEMA? I mean, everybody seems to want to know because it's not FEMA, which is the Disaster Relief Agency. It's FIMA, which is apparently the Foreign Reserve Disaster Relief Agency, but it's not really an agency. It's part of FRBNY. So, you know, what, what, what the hell is this thing? Well, FIMA is a Fed's brand new alphabet, alphabeted emergency uh, rescue uh, program, which intends to do what the dollar swaps aren't doing. And the dollar swaps are essentially um, agreements between the Federal Reserve and a certain group of central banks to, to allow those central banks to bid for dollars. And then hopefully those foreign central banks will take those, those dollars they get from the Fed, which are bank reserves, and then auction them off to banks in their local jurisdictions. And the reason is because the Fed takes no ownership over the global dollar system because in large part, the Fed is a domestic bank authority. Now, rather than working with foreign central banks, it doesn't have uh, already a, 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 any kind of working history with. Federal Reserve has decided that, it, well, you know, there's a dollar problem out there. What do we do about it? It's not really our problem. But we got to do something. So how do we get how do we get dollars into these other places that the Fed doesn't actually have uh, existing agreements or existing swap lines with? What they came up with was FEMA, which is which is. Um, while, while you find it, let me just jump in. So they already had existing swap dollar agreements going back a few years. Uh, you'll know exactly which year it was, but it was a few years. And it was with six 
central banks, Canada, the European Central Bank, Bank of England, Switzerland. Who else? Who am I missing? The European yeah, ECB. Europe. And then on the 19th of March, correct me if I'm wrong there, they extended that to nine more central banks, which now includes countries like Brazil, Singapore, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Norway, Sweden. Yep, yep. So they were... The, the dollar swap lines are not comprehensive. They're not designed to get dollars out into everywhere around the globe. They're just designed to do some dollar trading activity, dollar funding activity between certain central banks and the Federal Reserve. And usually it's those, as you pointed out, the first group, which are basically the major central banks. But if you have a global dollar problem that's really a global dollar problem, what about everybody else? I mean, how, where are they supposed to get dollars from? And that's, again, we, we have some, one of the topics we're going to have to get to in Eurodollar University is why does the world have such a, such a, uh, a constant need for dollars across the entire you know, global marketplace? Where, where does this dollar need come from? We'll get to that at a future episode. But for now, what we need to know is that there's this dollar need that exists and everybody needs to have dollars. But where do they get them? And the, the answer is usually from the banking system, this global banking system, this euro dollar system that provides dollars on a daily basis and, and a minute by minute basis in a very dynamic way. It doesn't just use, you know, currency is, you know, it's not like there's Federal Reserve notes that are flying back and forth between banks and all over the world. These are accounting ledgers of various types of financial transactions that take place between foreign, mostly foreign banks, but some domestic banks and all these other uh, financial players are out, outside of the United States. So the world has a dollar need that isn't being met because the market is in a crisis mode. And the, so the, in response to that. The other way that they could have gotten dollars is through trade, right? And so I'm sharing right now on my screen uh, history going back to the 1990s of global trade. And you can see and this, what I'm showing right here, is through January. So we hadn't even reached the full crisis. And already trade was slowing down. So that's, so not only are they not getting dollars from trade, but now the banking system is seizing up. So dollar shortage. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's, it's a double whammy, right? Because normally you expect a financial system, even in, even during periods where trade is a little bit sluggish, trade is, is, is falling for whatever reasons in individual cases, we expect a dollar system, these banks that operate in the euro dollar market to provide dollars to smooth over some of these fluctuations in trade. So that, you know, if, if you have to borrow some from dollars from a bank somewhere, you can do that. But now that the, the financial system is, is itself in a crisis and now you have this this looming trade catastrophe out there because i mean the global economy is basically shutting down for an undetermined amount of, of, of time where is everybody going to get their dollars from well they've they've started banging on the door of the imf begging for emergency funding and that's one of the other important points i want to make here and i know you you want to make this too emil is that you know, last week, the IMF announced that they had 80 funding requests for emergency funding. When they normally get, she, the, the director said maybe a handful, which is probably overstretching the case. They maybe get one or two emergency, emergency funding requests in any large length of time. So for them to get 80 requests all in one week, what that tells you is 
out there outside of you know the major economies across the rest of the global marketplace everybody is looking at this dollar double whammy and saying we're going to be in serious trouble here our trade the mercantile dollar channel is shutting down you know by the way the global banking system that's that's at the center of this that usually provides dollars it's it's in the middle of a crisis they're not we're not going to be able to get any dollars from that either so where are we going to go to get dollars and uh in case we don't get to it, uh, yeah, that IMF, uh, there was a conference call with the G20. The G20 said that they were going to provide $5 trillion for advanced economies. That works out to some 6.5% of global GDP, but it's the emerging markets that we're concerned about. Where are they going to get their dollars? And so the IMF apparently has $1 trillion in uh, a revolver, let's call it. I don't know if that's the right term, but a revolver in lending capacity. And they asked for it to double that. They asked the G20 to double that, as well as an additional immediate half, uh, half a trillion in cash up front right away. Uh, but, but then, so, but Jeff, that's the point of your article, FEMA. Now the well, Federal that's, Reserve is- right. That's the Fed coming in and saying, well, what else can we do? Because again, you know, the Fed is not a dollar authority. And that's, that's the key point that I keep trying to make is that, you know, the Federal Reserve isn't really a central bank. It's a domestic bank authority. It's statutory mandate. You know, forget inflation, forget full employment. Those are things that come afterward. The Fed really is supposed to do is look after domestic banks. The, with the idea that, look, if we, if we preserve the banking system, we won't have another Great Depression. That's, that's really what it's all about. So we're going to look after domestic banks. You know, if, if it looks like Bear Stearns is about to fail, we'll make sure that we can take care of Bear Stearns and get it merged with J.P. Morgan and make sure that the banking system is okay. Well, that's, that's good, and that's, that's a noble project. But what about the rest of it? I mean, this is a global dollar system, and nobody's watching out for the dollar system. So you can have what is a dollar crisis without a banking crisis. Now, in 2008, the two things came together because the dollar crisis was so big and the banks were so uh, unsound, let's say, that we had a dollar crisis precipitate a bank, actually two banking crises. There was two of them in 2008. But it, it isn't necessarily the case where a dollar crisis will lead to a banking crisis. You can have one without the other. And so the Fed's mandate is, hey, we're going to take care of the banks and we'll, we'll pay some attention to the dollar system because, frankly, we have to. Everybody around the world is knocking on their door. Well, there's, there's two things we have to get to. Uh, the difference between a dollar crisis and a banking crisis. But, and then the second thing that we have to get to is the banking authority versus the central bank. And I just want to tease this out because uh, new listeners, new viewers – may not comprehend what you're saying that the, the Federal Reserve is not central to the U.S. dollar, right? That's what you're saying. It's central to regulating American banks. People assume that the Federal Reserve is also central to the U.S. dollar, but this is the whole Eurodollar University that you did with Eric Townsend on Macro Voices that you write about the Federal Reserve is not central to the creation of U.S. dollars. Who does that? That's the private banking network. They don't create cash and currency and coin. They create bank ledgers denominated in dollars. Do I have that correct? Because that, that's an important point. 
That's an extremely important point of view, and I think you got you got it exactly right. The only thing I would add to it is, not only do the banks responsible for the creation of these liabilities and these these funding transactions, they're also responsible for the redistribution, which is to me is an absolutely incredibly important point that we cannot we cannot understate this. You know, it's the old stock versus flow argument. You know, you can create money stock, but if it doesn't go anywhere, what good is it? So it's, it's it, the global euro bank, euro dollar bank system combined both functions together. It creates the, the ledger numbers that you're talking about, which are these exotic bank transactions, which are also uh, redistribute those resources all over the world in these long chains of liabilities. So what we're really talking about is the global banking system does all both of those jobs and, and you know, does it really quite well because you have you have the prototypical guys on Wall Street are on the phone all day trying to trying to do these financial transactions because they know the customers, they know the marketplace. They've got the resources when they have the resources, they know how to get them out there into these far flung corners of the globe. Whereas the central bank doesn't speak that language and it doesn't have those guys and you know those rows of phones where everybody's working uh, their customers. They don't know how to redistribute dollar resources. So the central bank, even when it does, or the, the Federal Reserve, even when it does act, it acts very bureaucratically. It says, if you're short of dollars, you've got to come to me. You know, I have these various programs I'm setting up. I don't know you're short of dollars because we don't have any relationship. And so, you know, if you get into some kind of funding problem, you've got to come to me first. So there's a, there's a redistribution problem on top of the, uh, the uh, money stock problem. So just to be specific, what is the FEMA repo facility that the Fed is trying to do that the popular business press is saying will be successful? What is that specifically? The FEMA program is essentially, how do we do dollar swaps with central banks that we don't have a relationship with? Because, you know, if 80, 80 countries are begging with the IMF for a bailout, you know, the IMF doesn't have the resources for that. And so... The Fed realizes, I'm sure they've been on, on the phone in consultation with IMF officials, we've got to do something too. So how do we do this without doing a dollar swap program? So what they came up with is essentially a repo transaction. Because all of these other countries around the world for the last 20 years have been raising and, and holding uh, dollar reserve balances, largely in the form of U.S. Treasury securities. That's why foreigners hold so many Treasury securities. That's their safety net in case of this eventuality. The problem is they can't just sell them because selling them creates all sorts of problems, which we'll probably have to save that for a future episode too. So I apologize for, you know, the for cutting out, uh, taking a lot of shortcuts here, but selling U S treasuries and mobilizing reserves creates problems too. So what the fed decided was we'll, we'll create this repo transaction where instead of having a, a specific national central bank or foreign treasury sell its U S treasury holdings to raise dollars for its dollar starred banks, Instead, they'll pledge those treasuries with the Federal Reserve in a repo where the Fed will give them for six months, will give them bank reserves or cash in exchange. So it's a way to circumvent the selling U.S. US treasuries to raise dollars for their local banks that are short of them. To just rewind 30 seconds, we'll address this in a future show. But the problem is that when these banks are selling treasuries, it's announced to the market, let's say a month later via the IMF, uh, central bank report saying this country here seems to be in trouble. They're raising a lot of cash. And then that's a self-reinforcing cycle of, of other countries, traders, hot flows saying, well, we should be careful with this country. And that they pull back more and then uh, the country needs to raise more funds. 
And so now that's not being seen, but that's also a problem you say in your article because you're worried that now these hot money flows are just going to treat everyone in the emerging market bucket, let's say, as problematic because they don't know who is the problem. Right, because what you'll see is you'll see the balance at the Federal Reserve rise as these countries take advantage of this FEMA repo operation. And everybody will know that. Everybody will say, well, look at the balance rise at the Federal Reserve. So we know that there are some problem countries out there, but now we don't know who is a problem country. So prudence dictate, dictates that we treat everybody as a problem country. See, that's the problem in a crisis. And it goes back to 2008 where the same thing happened. Because, um, because uh, uh, the Federal Reserve came up with various ways for individual banks to hide their problems, like going to a TAF auction, for example, which was anonymous, that made uh, funding counterparties suspicious of everybody. We know there's a problem, but we can't tell who is a problem. Therefore, we're going to treat everybody as a problem. And that's it's really you know crisis management. It goes back to Walter Badgett in the, in the 1890 or the 1800s. You know, in a crisis, you show everybody the money. You don't try to hide problems. Hiding problems makes everybody even more distrustful. What he called discredit. It raises systemic discredit because everybody, you know, if I can't pinpoint who exactly is the problem, then I have to, I have to treat everybody as, with suspicion. And so now we're talking, you know, in 2008, we're talking about individual banks with suspicion. Now we're talking about entire national systems that will be treated with suspicion. And I don't see how that leads to a good outcome. Is that why you believe that we're only just getting started, that the true depth of the crisis is well the the way you put it in your articles is that you said the imf can see this the federal reserve can see it and if you are a believer in credentials then you would say well of course they see it because they know what they're talking about but as you said in your articles you have a different perspective is that they typically don't see these things and therefore if they do see them then this must be a truly tremendous uh, problem. Are, we, are you worried about a sovereign debt default cycle? Not necessarily a sovereign debt default cycle, but what I call the shadow shadow run. And you know, going back, you know, what is a shadow run? Well, a shadow run was what we had in 2008. That was where we had a bunch of wholesale, you know, these, these global uh, dollar relationships that you and I were just talking about that take place in the shadow between these banks that operate in the, in the, in the, in the global system. We had, it was a unique bank panic in that it was only the banks that were panicking. You know, the interbank wholesale markets were where the, where the point of failure was. It wasn't depository institutions like there had been in the past. You know, bank panic used to be the public converting deposit liabilities into cash. What the shadow run was in 2008 were these banks that operated together in these wholesale markets deciding that they didn't want to operate together in these wholesale markets. And so they just all those chains of, of hidden shadow liabilities started to break down because participants in that marketplace were distrustful of each other. So it was a shadow run. It so, wasn't a convertibility run. So we've all heard of a bank run. We know what that is because every Christmas we watch It's a Wonderful Life. So we know what a bank run is. In 2008, we had a shadow bank run with the exception of Northern Rock, which was actual bank run in, in London. Uh, so we had a shadow bank run, as you said, it took place in the interbank markets. And now you're saying 
that the banks, the shadow banks haven't been, are not going to be fooled thrice. And therefore don't expect probably a bank crisis or a shadow bank run, expect a shadow, shadow bank run. So what is, I don't, I didn't do well in, in, in uh, derivatives and trigonometry. I don't know what we're talking about. Shadow, shadow derivatives. You yeah, no, I, it's, it's, it's a complex thing. And, it, and it's uh, really what we're talking about is since, you know, right from the beginning of the crisis, the banking system began to realize that the, you know, how this, the situation was not good for uh, taking a whole lot of risk. And we, you know, Emil, you and I have talked about this a lot. You know, for the last 12 years, banks have been taking less and less risk. They've, they've been fortifying their balance sheets. They've been doing all these things, holding treasuries in reserve, holding more, reserve, uh, more, more cash, doing less risky things, cutting back their derivative books, all these kinds of things that, are, uh, um, that have been taking place as a sort of a behavioral change. Exactly, which you're showing on the, on the screen right now. So banks individually, especially the larger banks, they have been taking care of themselves. So, you know, JP Morgan called it a fortress balance sheet, which is actually the case. JP Morgan is, is, has a fortress of a balance sheet. So if as we get to another dollar crisis, we, wouldn't, we don't expect that dollar crisis to impact JP Morgan. I don't think we're going to see another Lehman Brothers, another Bear Stearns, because the individual banks have fortified themselves. But what about everybody else? I'm talking about, you know, hedge funds. I'm talking about non-bank entities, of which there are many. Um, these, these other financial entities out there beyond the banking system that are just as, as vital and crucial as the banks are, that have not fortified themselves, that have not been taken care of, and don't have the Federal Reserve watching out for them because it's beyond their mandate. So that's a shadow shadow run where you have a dollar crisis show up, but it doesn't actually create a banking crisis because the individual banks are fine. We're not going to have another Lehman Brothers, which everybody takes that to be, a, a, you know, the Fed must be doing its job. The, Fed's, the Fed must be very effective because we don't, see a, we don't see a rash of nationalizations and failures. Well, that's not true because we have the look at this dollar crisis, which as you pointed out, Emil, I mean, if the IMF people can see it, if Jay Powell thinks he has to do this FEMA as well as dollar swaps, as well as the other things, um, you know, they can see that there's a dollar problem, but what their current argument is, well, whose responsibility is it? And it gets back to what is the Federal Reserve? What actually is the Federal Reserve? So I'm showing on my screen right now, I'm showing the U.S. dollar uh, index. It's trade weighted and it shows both emerging markets and advanced economies. And, you know, the title I put there is that it might be a sovereign debt default cycle, but you're, you're feeling no, it may be more of a emerging market and maybe eventually advanced economy corporate default cycle, corporate credit default cycle. Uh, is that where the shadows uh, it's, you know, it's not necessarily default risk either. You know, go back to the 2008 model. The problem wasn't that, you know, subprime mortgages were going to create losses. The losses that subprime mortgages created were, were minimal. It didn't really, in terms of relative to the systemic size. So it's not necessarily a credit default situation. It's a liquidity situation where, where it could produce dislocations in market where you can't price anything. But rather, regardless of whether or not, you know, a, a corporate credit is going to default, the corporate bond price might be 20 cents on the dollar. And that's probably extreme. It's 50, 60 cents on the dollar for a good corporate credit. 
Now, what does that do to not just that corporation, which can no longer raise money in the bond market anymore because its debt is trading at such low levels, which indicates massive risk. Um, not only does it shut that corporation out of, of credit markets, it has knock-on effects to similar types of corporations, regardless of their health or status. It has knock-on effects in other types of mar markets, which we talked about, uh, collateral repo, especially junk collateral that's been in the repo markets. So if you have a dislocation in the corporate credit market that's a liquidity problem, a dollar problem, that creates further liquidity, market, uh, liquidity problems across the entire repo market, which then creates all sorts of dislocations in other markets, which raises everybody's risk perceptions, which raises, which, which raises everybody's risk aversion, which creates all of these self-reinforcing dynamics that, that make a dollar crisis. So regardless of whether, you know, at the, at the root of this, we have a ton of defaults or not, what, what, what matters is the lack of liquidity in the system to price everything in a rational, normal way so that things can operate on, an, on, a, uh, on a dependable, efficient basis. And the, so then where's the liquidity going to come from? It's not going to come from the IMF. It's not going to come from the Federal Reserve. Is it going to come from the U.S. Treasury by making it rain debt? collateral that people can then use in their, the financial institutions can use for their uh, short-term borrowings as collateral is where, where might the liquidity come from? Well, that's what I'm, you know, that's what has me most concerned is that it's not going to come from anywhere. If, if, if the financial system continues to act in a risk averse manner, which is dealers sitting on the sidelines rather than offering liquidity in these various, these various markets that are breaking down and the federal reserve, you know, half-assed tries to step into these places you know it's not good at redistribution it's bureaucratic it's rigid it doesn't it doesn't readily and easily replace the dynamic marketplace that's a poor substitution and then you have to get the numbers right i mean if the imf you know if we're talking about is 80 argentinas what is the scale of the problem here we, we don't even know that yet and so you know even if the fed was a capable institution would they even be able to go big enough to to create enough of an offset that it creates enough of a you know regular situation that the markets just don't break down completely, you know that's what concerns me the most is that you know the Fed knows there's something big out there but they still are not taking responsibility for it because they're a domestic bank authority, not a dollar-based global central bank. If there is no dollar-based global central bank, only the banking system which is retreating, not adding. And what can we look towards to know if this, uh, if this wave, the second wave is coming? Because we have passed through March seemingly okay. The calendar stresses that we discussed in our last episode have passed. What can, what, is there a financial measure out there that we can look to? Is it LIBOR perhaps? LIBOR is definitely one of them because, you know, it tells you what the banks inside the system, especially in the offshore spaces, are looking at. So if you see three months LIBOR where it is, you know, extremely high relative to where everything else is, that large TED spread, that's an indication the banking system is looking out just over the immediate time horizon and thinking, uh, there's, there's bad stuff out there. <laughs> you know, it's, this is not good. Um, at, at the same time, you can look at the, the, the way the, the bond market curves are behaving, euro dollar futures, things like that. And they're all telling you, they're all pointing in the direction is, okay, yeah, it's great. We got through March, 
but what's next? We don't know what's next and, you know, potentially what comes next may not be, you know, it may be even worse than what we just experienced in March. There's, there's too many negative indications out there that suggest, as you pointed out, Emil, just a minute ago, that March was the first, just the first wave. It wasn't the whole crisis. It was just the, the, the beginning steps of what could be a, a systemic liquidity dislocation, even greater than the one we saw in 2008. That's what concerns me, is that when you have, you know, 80 Argentinas, the idea is that the dollar shortage today, moving forward, potentially, could be even greater than the one in 2008. You know, I, it, it, I don't really want to be one of those people who are screaming about the end of the world, but I am legitimately concerned about something like that. So you don't want to say that the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but you are looking just to hedge to go long handbaskets, just in case. All right. I think so we have to be, you know, that's a good point. We have to be, you know, we have to recognize the risks that are, that are, you know, reasonably explained by what's going on in these markets. And the markets are all telling you after what just happened in March, after what the Federal Reserve did in response, all these things that have gone on, we're still very pessimistic. And so, you know, that tells you that there's, there are more things out there in the shadow, shadow system that could potentially be, create real havoc, and even more than we've seen, seen now. And you're going to keep us posted on it with your writing at Alhambra Investments. You'll be on Twitter at Jeff Snyder underscore AIP on YouTube at the Alhambra Investments YouTube channel. So we'll be able to stay on top of all these things as they develop. Uh, is there anything as we wrap up, is there anything that you wrote this week that you think is important that I have failed completely to raise that you think we, the audience should keep in mind going forward? Are you saying that everything I write isn't worth keeping up on? Is that what you're trying to tell? I mean, come on. No, uh, you know, <laughs> the, um, the, real, the real stuff this week has been about dollars crisis versus banking crisis. And it's really about the Federal Reserve is not situated, is not created, is not mandated to take care of a global dollar system. Its entire focus, its entire mandate, and its, its framework of understanding too, this is why it gets everything wrong, is about the domestic banking system, and it only pays minor attention when it's forced to with the global dollar system. And that's what FEMA was. That's what dollar swaps are. That's the Fed literally trying to pass the buck to other people saying, the global dollar system is not our problem. And that's, 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 you know, you can understand why banks are a little bit, un, uh, un, un, you know, uh, a little bit nervous about the way things are going. Well, I think the banks, as you've been writing, for the last 12 years, they've learned that lesson. So they're not surprised, but it's everyone else that they then are funding down the line, as you say, the shadow, shadow system. Jeff, loved it. Thank you very much. I will see you again, same time next week. Stay safe. And thank you again. Take care, Emil.